two, three. Welcome to. <laughs> no, we gotta do it at the same time, so we're just gonna say recording. Welcome, Welcome to, to a Florida, Florida thing. thing. I am your host, Tyler, with my grandmother, Grammel. On today's episode, we are getting to talk to Jennifer Webb, state representative for District 69 here in Florida. And we are super excited. She is taking time out of her busy schedule campaigning and helping folks. And she, we're just going to get right on into it. Let's go. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Hi. Hi. Looking forward to getting to know you better. <laughs> oh, good. Me too. Me so- I'm Tyler, and this is my grandmother, Margie. Hi, Margie. Tyler, I was reading your poetry this morning. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. Now he he will follow you anywhere. (laughs) So we have two bookcases full of poetry. We like books. We build libraries wherever we live. So probably poetry and Southern Lit are our biggest two. Oh, and I think I see Confederacy of Dunces. Is that what I see right there? It's totally what you see. (laughs) You ought to see my bedroom. There's just room for a bed in there. Even my bug man had said, Margie, you need to get rid of some of these books. And I said, bite your tongue. Even though we keep giving books away, there's certain books that you want to hold on to, you know? And I don't know. You know, I kind of live to read. Well, okay, so what are you reading right now since you live to read? Now I need to know. What, Margie? Right now I'm reading um, Gutsy Women by Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. And I'm reading Rodham by Curtis Somebody. It's about Mrs. Clinton again. It's a story of fiction. And this is what would have happened to her if she hadn't have ever become Mrs. Oh, I heard about this on NPR. Yeah. Last week yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to write this down. Hold on. So part of our podcast is we read books by Florida writers and then we interview them. So one of the writers that we read, her name is Susanna Daniel and her really good friend is Curtis. Mm-hmm. Her book. And so she sent us that book, Rodham. She knew I was reading a book about the Clintons. So you're on to something. Create a podcast about books, people in Florida writers, and people will send you what you love most, which is books. <laughs> I'm waiting for tomatoes and lemon pie now. <laughs> so we have a few questions for you. Okay. So our podcast is about Florida. So can you tell us a little bit about your life in Florida? Sure. So I got recruited to the University of South Florida. I'm an anthropologist by training. And during the, the recession in the early or mid 2000s, I guess early 2000s, I was doing workforce and economic development up in Massachusetts. And I knew that I wanted to go back to school and that, and I wanted to be an anthropologist and use kind of the best of our thinking paired with really the best of our action to help create change. And so I was looking for graduate schools. USF had the top public anthropology um, department in the country at the time. And they flew me down here. And, um, and I looked at the campus and fell in love with the, with the department. Um, on the flight down, two of my, well, some friends of ours from Provincetown, we were living in Massachusetts at the time. 
uh, two of our friends from Provincetown said, oh, everybody from Provincetown, actually, all the girls live in Gulfport. <laughs> yes. Gulfport. Yeah, right? You already knew. You already all knew. the girls live in Gulfport. We all have houses during the off season up at the Cape. So why don't you come on down? Like, just check it out. You'll love it. And so we did. We rented a car and drove across the bay, but it seemed like an eternity away. And I was really nervous about going to grad school. And I also had, um, was going to help start a new office there, the Office of Community Engagement and Partnerships. And so I didn't know what everything was going to entail. And so I lived in Lutz. We lived in Lutz for the first three wow. months, which is right like by campus, like the closest part to campus. Did not really love Tampa. Did not really love Lutz. Basically, at the end of my first semester, I was like, it's worth it. I know what I've gotten into now. So we packed up everything. We got this amazing little apartment. So you know Beach Boulevard in Gulfport. Mm -hmm. You know where the peninsula inn is? Right across the street um, it was where we first lived. It was magical. It's this Aww. bright green building with purple doors and a magical little garden on the side. All of the restaurants would deliver to our apartment, like from the strip. It was closer for me to go next door to get coffee from Manja Gourmet at the time than it was for me to walk back to my kitchen. And it was just exactly what we needed. Like we needed a lot of community because graduate school is so isolating. And it's so kind of, you know, you're so focused on your own work and what you're doing. And so we basically situated that my doing that within the middle of this small town where people just love to connect and it worked out really well and I loved it and I just fell in love with Florida and so I spent a lot of time since I've moved here well the first I don't know seven years after I graduated from grad school I stayed at USF um I think they say USF stands for you stay for life um <laughs> Or you stay forever. Um, and, and I, you know, stayed there and got their department up. I was the director of community partnerships for the Office of Community Engagement and Partnerships. And so I would pull together faculty, grad students, upper level undergraduate students, and community partners to like solve issues. So when we, when I first moved to Florida, the um, look, the area around USF had the same infant mortality rate as Bangladesh. Wow. Third world country. Wow. And that was one of the first projects that um, the university really, that we poured our resources into partnering with the community to raise the, to decrease the number of babies who are dying in infancy. I mean, that's unbelievable to me. Right around yes. Moffitt, USF Med School. I mean, there's so much medical expertise, our nursing school in that area. Um, I We did projects to understand why different channels are filling up with sand over in Pinellas County, how to attract the um, tech industry to Florida, like what supporting an industry looks like, what kind of educational institutions we need. And so I helped pull together. Oh, how to decrease hunger and food insecurity in kids throughout the Tampa Bay area. So I helped pull together those partnerships and um, USF won an award for the most engaged campus. And I decided I had run for office once and decided, and I knew that the next time I ran, I wasn't going to be able to stay at USF because my job was really couldn't be 
segmented down into a part-time job. And so I started my own firm and went into the private sector, kind of doing the same thing that I was at USF, but just instead of connecting university people, I would be the researcher on the project. And, um, awesome. and I, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I did that. And I, and so that's what OmniPublic is. I, I have a firm and my, my partner, Cesar Hernandez, he pretty much holds the, he holds it, holds the reins for the most part, because I'm kind of, I, I love governing so much and helping people and like helping to problem solve. And especially right now with the COVID-19 crisis, I mean, I spend all my time, like, I don't, helping people get their unemployment and fighting for people and connecting them to resources so they can get food. It's yeah. But you know, I, even though I didn't move here until 11 years ago for graduate school, my whole childhood I spent, I mean, I'm from Louisiana and so, Oh yeah. Originally. So like the Gulf South is my home and that's yeah. why I love, I was reading like through some of your Gator poems and I just <laughs> love them. <laughs> What part of Louisiana? Baton Rouge. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and my spouse is actually from New Orleans. Cynthia's from New Orleans. Awesome. Um, yeah, she went to high school there. Um, and my entire, all of my best memories are on the beaches in Florida. The last picture I have of me and my dad um, a week before he died was on the beaches. Him, like, holding me in the surf on the beaches. And... Um, in the panhandle yeah oh wow i know i so it's a special place and when we moved here i, I had a feeling that we were gonna stay because ah. yeah yeah and i i just i love gulfport i love the people i mean yeah that's it's really quirky. interesting when you were saying that you were connected to the community because gulfport is kind of a gem that you kind of not everybody really is turned on to so it's cool that you got plugged in there. And what else have you kind of found about those community networks and making them in Florida compared to maybe other places you've lived? Massachusetts was the hardest place I've ever lived. I mean, I even did a, like, a study abroad in France, and it was more similar culturally to Louisiana than Massachusetts was because people are very, like, you have to show up a place forever before people tell you hello. And wow. absolutely not the South. But here, there's enough of like, even if people have moved here from the Midwest or from, you know, Massachusetts or, or, or New York, the cultural expectation is that of community. And so people kind of do what's expected of them, even if it's not what they're accustomed to from based on where they move, you know? And so even though there's this like interesting melting pot here and mixing of different people from different backgrounds, it's like the sense of community, people love where they live. My district has 12 different cities in it. I have more cities than anyone else. I go all the way up to Seminole and North Reddington Beach and all the way over, my district goes all the way over to Kenneth Betty, Pinellas Park. So it's cute, I mean, it's just sprawling. And it's really cool because people like pick where they live they don't pick like a neighborhood necessarily. They pick a city, you know, like people who live in Gulfport love that. We love that we live in Gulfport. Yeah. Even, and we want to keep Gulfport weird and we can appreciate that Kenwood is equally quirky and weird, but we don't want to live in St. Pete. We want to live in Gulfport, <laughs> you know? And it's like people who live in Treasure Island 
love that they live in Treasure Island, even though part like all it's right across the at a short bridge jump to Madeira Beach. They don't want to like they chose Treasure Island. That's where they love to live, and I think that's super unique. And in each and because of that, in each little city, there's their own network. So we got pulled in by the lesbian connection from uh, from Provincetown. Mm-hmm. Apparently, back in the 70s, they were going to set up Gulfport as an intentional lesbian separatist community. Isn't that wild? And there was also one in Arkansas. And, and so, like, in this, like, very, I don't know, I guess it's like a remnant of, like, what was happening, of their attempts in like the 90s to settle like to have safe places for for lesbians to gather that artists started coming here and then mm-hmm. in turn you know Cynthia and I ended up in Gulfport which is I love that when Tyler started this uh podcast we uh traveled to different um uh, libraries then we went all the way down to Gulfport I love our library when we first moved to Gulfport I immediately packed up and moved to Costa Rica to do research and left Cynthia, my spouse, in Gulfport. And then when I came back, I was writing up my research. And instead of driving all the way to Tampa to the library, I would just go to Gulfport's library. And I made my first friend in Gulfport, this little 10-year-old, Ariana, who's now 21. Wow. (laughs) And so, like... Every day she would expect me because I would I would show up every day and so she started to expect me. And like the second day or third day that we found ourselves chatting a little bit and writing and she was reading, I was like, Hey, where are your parents? Can I meet them? Because I my I didn't want to be like the weird adult who has like a 10-year-old friend. And so she brought me, she was like, Oh, my dad works at the automotive repair store right across the street. And and so I went and met him and I was like, I just wanted you to know that I'm the person who your daughter's been hanging <laughs> out with. That's too funny. And I'm only just a little bit weird. <laughs> exactly. And I'm only just a little, I'm, I'm weird in good ways, not in scary ways. <laughs> I uh, went to, I think maybe a year or two ago, they had a Pride Month open mic and it was the best open mic that I've been to in a long time. At our library? At the Gulfport Library, yes. Yeah, we are so fortunate. So we won a national award for our LGBTQ section of our library and for the work that our library has done in community programming. It's the only library in Florida that has a dedicated area for LG public library that has a dedicated area for LGBTQ um, subject matter authors. Also, we have a Russian section. So did you see that when you went? We didn't um, go Marjorie? inside. They brought oh, the books out. Okay. So we also have a really huge Russian section, and we have a lot of people from former Soviet satellite nations who, like, settled in this area, too, with interest, and talk about fun stories to tell. But actually, like, Goldie is one of the people who, um, he and his sister have lived in Gulfport for many years, and they're Originally, they're not from Russia, but they're from one of like Turkestan or Kazakhstan or Goldie is now 90. Um, wow. When we first moved in and he was 80 into our apartment, our refrigerator broke. He is the one who carried the refrigerator, a full-sized refrigerator up like four stairs and put it into place for us. Like he's the person Jeez. that my landlady like called to help out. He would Jeez. slam 
every day from Gulfport to Tierra Verde across the Boca Ciega Bay. No and way. And grabbed a, a knife to his thigh so that if a, he came, came into contact with a shark, he could slash him and then tethered a little inflatable blow-up ball to his ankle so that boaters would be able to see him. Wow. And he did that, he swam that every morning for, I mean, he probably still does. Sounds like then, a character and a half. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and the other thing, why I knew that we were going to stay in Gulfport is we, have, we've all, we always adopt dogs. And um, I was walking our dog, Basil, down the street when we first moved to Gulfport. And it was like 10 o'clock when all the um, storefronts are opening and the shopkeepers are like opening their doors. And there was a guy in front of me and you could tell that he had probably substance use and maybe like mental health issues going on. He was scraggly. He normally was in the same dirty shirt and had like a scraggly beard and, you know, just kind of sunburnt always. But he had changed his shirt this morning. And when I, and I was walking maybe like, I don't know, half a store behind, like 10 yards behind him. And every time he would pass in front of a new shopkeeper, people were like, they would say like, you're looking good this morning. Oh, I can see you changed your shirt. Good job. Way to go. Feels good to look all nice and, and, and put together, right? And they were so lovingly encouraging to this individual who, like, like there was no shame. It wasn't like, oh, about time you changed your clothes. Like, it was all like meeting people where they were and encouraging them just to be their best self, their best version of whoever they were. You know, yeah. and it, it was so it's precious. Loving. Yeah, it was. It was so precious. And I thought, this is where I live. I love that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it because that's really community, right? It's, yeah. it's not demanding that everybody be the same. I mean, that's what it looks like in homeowner associations. Everyone has to have the same mailbox, the same yard, blah, blah, blah. But in real communities, it's just meeting people where they are and loving them and hoping that they're their best selves, you know? It's, and not letting people fall through the cracks. Like when um, there's another guy who is also, you know, all small towns have their, in small towns people know who they're, who the people on the margins are. And this guy was close on the margin and probably also had substance use um, issues and mental health issues. And he hadn't been around for a few days and people, like started calling i mean i called the police and the police said listen you were like the 10th person who called we are looking for them we're not going to let them like get hurt we don't know where they are if he's anywhere in gulfport like we'll know it and we'll make sh and we'll let people know but that's the kind of concern that people show for like people just pay attention and know their neighbors it's it gives me chills i love yeah was I, he okay he was. He was okay. Oh, good thing. I left out the club parent. Yeah. He, um, well, you know, I said that he was, pro he was like decided to go drinking in St. Pete Beach and got into a little trouble and then and made up, made his way back to, to Gulfport. <laughs> so you um, were talking about communities. And so since you've been um, so active in the communities and how has the issues in your district that you are in, how has that changed since you've first been here to now, pre-COVID, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about now during COVID. Well, the short answer is, I'll, I'll go with the short answer. I'm lucky, most of the people in my district, their number one concern is 
protecting our beaches, our waterways, and our wild spaces. People really are um, champions of the environment, like at their core. That's good. Yeah, and that's what brings people, I think, to this area because we're surrounded by water. I mean, I have um, Boca Ciega on one side of my district and the Gulf on the other side. And, um, And people move here because they they love the beach they love the seabirds they love the nesting turtles they you know i mean they just they love the the wild spaces in florida um that has always been everyone's number one issue um making sure that we're investing in education you know kind of the normal and workforce development doing that um uh investing in mental health and 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 making sure that people have, you know, access to affordable health care. Those have all been kind of big issues in my district. And they still are, but in different ways. So now it's how do we put people to work um, protecting our environment by building up our infrastructure, you know, like so that people can have a skill, like can learn a skill set, can make a living wage, and can also help protect our environment. Um, so how can the state invest in those programs moving forward? Um, making sure that we're giving people the opportunity to retool their, their skills. So a lot of people are in the service industry and not everybody who is in the service industry, like wanted to go and stay in the service industry. Some people thought this will be like a stopover on the way to something else. And for those people, making sure that they have access to training. We have a ton of like manufacturing jobs in Florida. Even before COVID, they were going to, they were struggling to find a workforce. And so I had been pushing to make sure that we were connecting people to like apprenticeship programs. And these apprenticeship programs, you get paid while you do it. Mm -hmm. You get money into your 401k, you get health insurance. Some of them are unionized. I mean, they're good. We have some good jobs that are in desperate need of workers right now. Um, all of our building trades, they're, all of the people in the building trades, they're phasing out. We're going to have a dearth of people who can go and work projects already. Um, construction projects are, get delayed because they don't have enough workers. And those are jobs that you can do during COVID. Um, because they're outside, you're socially distanced, you're masked, all of that stuff. And, and it's hard work, but it's also iron workers. You can make six figures. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't I know that when I got a master's. I was like, maybe. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I heard several years ago where uh, certain, like carpenters and things like that, were becoming very scarce in the construction business. That's exactly and, right. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And so, the, and so now I'm encouraging people to use this time. Um, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm... Um, Three weeks ago, I got tired of hearing myself say to myself, oh, well, if this was before COVID, I would be fill in the blank. I mean, I just, I was tired of depressing myself (laughs) and like, and sowing disappointment. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to figure out how to use this time to its highest and best purpose. You know, like, what can I best do in my house so like I built these this bookshelf right here oh that was your first <laughs> nice. yeah thank you Ta-da! I know I put more floors down so like doing things like that to help um 
to that I wouldn't normally have time to do. When I get up every morning, I try to uh, remember, and I do, I've been doing it a couple of years now, to write down five things I'm grateful for. So I start the day, you know, in a good, in a good mood. And that does help. And when the, when the COVID started, and there were so many things we have no control over anymore. And I said, all right, I'm going to have control over being organized, which actually only means putting on a bra in the morning. And uh, so I think we ought to always realize the things that are things we can control and the things that are good in our lives. Yeah, and, and I'm in control of my mood and whether I choose to be grateful or dissatisfied. And, that, and I love that I do the same thing in the morning. Um, I started that probably 10 years ago. I, was like, I, I would get overwhelmed in the morning because as soon as I woke up, my dog would be begging to go outside. The cat yes. would be meowing at my face. The bird would be like, feed me. My spouse would be sleeping and I had to like do everything. So I just like get really, I would just get in, a, in kind of a foul mood. And I thought, this is so silly. These are all things. I welcomed all of these little creatures into my life and I love them. And this is like what putting love out in their life looks like. It's walking the dog, it's feeding the cat, you know, all of those things. So I would, in the morning, as soon as I woke up, I would stay perfectly still and just say a little gratitude prayer and you know, and thank God for all of the little blessings in my life. I, I love that you do that too. Well, this morning I thank God for bananas because I have kind of fell into the discovery a banana at night, the last thing, is helping me sleep. And it works. And last night I couldn't sleep. I said, there's one banana out there on the dining room table. And I came and got it. And then within 20 minutes, I was asleep. <laughs> I kind of wanted uh, to ask you a question about, so what would a day for you and your position look like? For those who may not know, like, what all it is that you do, what would a day look like for you? Yeah, so I wake up at six in the morning and I curate the news. So I read through the Tampa Bay Times. I read through Peter Schorsch's morning blog where he kind of does a digest of all the news. I read through the New York Times and um, I pull out things that I think are important for my constituents to know and I schedule them throughout the day on Facebook. So I share that information with people. And then I also read up on what's going on, of course. Then I have coffee, walk my dog. I have been a member of a 12-step meeting for a long time. Uh, and so I go to my meeting. I am um, like 21 years sober. So I do oh, that every morning to help take care of congratulations. my Congratulations. Yeah. It's, and that has given me a lot of um, structure. So it's, an, it's outside, which is awesome. We are way socially distanced, I still wear a mask, um, and do that every morning. I get home at 8.30, and then I jump into reading my emails and making sure that I've gotten back to people. I try to get back to everyone within 48 hours. I have a staff meeting with my staff, and um, they bring any pressing problems to me. So if somebody has been, let's say, someone has an unemployment issue that hasn't been resolved and they've tried and they've done their bit, they've 
submitted the paperwork, but it still hasn't gotten resolved and it's been a week or two, then they'll escalate it to me. And then I'll call the legislative affairs director for DEO or for the office that manages unemployment and try and, um, and say, hey, I, you know, and basically try and prod them to get it going and to get the claim moving so that people can get their money. Good. I look through all of the resources once a week that we have available in the community to make sure that I have an up-to-date list. So, you know, right now we have the COVID CARES program that will help people pay their utilities and their uh, mortgage and their rent. And um, just, and the criteria has been changing a little bit. So I like, I do that. I um, will reach out to business owners who are struggling. Uh, the brewers and bar owners have been contacting me a lot and I've been, you know, connecting them to the Department of Business and Professions that regulates them, Secretary Bashirs, and so coordinated a meeting between them. So he's coming on Monday to talk to them and to talk about what um, what we need to do to ensure people's health and like and just to play through different scenarios of, of when different um, businesses may open. Uh, I what else do I do? Write a lot of e I I make a lot of phone calls on behalf of constituents. Write a lot of emails. Um, trying right now to put to put pressure on the executive office to help small businesses so that they don't have to pay their in, their taxes all at once, so that they can be put on a payment plan. The problem is, and this is the thing that I think people don't really get is things are they're kind of complicated. So you think, oh, I pay my taxes to the government. So the government can control when, like, they can decide whether to put me on the payment plan or not or whatever. Well, Florida sells everybody's debt to a private company on June 1st. And so instead of, and they've already done that, they do it every year on June 1st. And so it's not just, hey, Florida government, like, be kind to business. Now it's asking the governor to ask a private business to work with business owners on collecting the debt, which is a harder thing to do. Um, same thing at the beginning of the crisis, we only had one place where um, families who were needy could go and fill out their, their applications for WIC, which feeds mothers and babies, TANF, which is food stamps, TANF and food stamps. There's one location for the entire Pinellas County. And so I had to figure out how to get them help and who I needed to call and what undersecretary. And so it's a lot, like everything that's not working. And this is, I think, back to your earlier question, um, what I think people are seeing now is how our state isn't working for Florida, like for normal yeah, Florida yes. family, and how it's not working for normal Florida businesses. And so normally people aren't very interested in fixing the state. They they think fixing the state just means making the state smaller and letting business and private industry do what private industry and business do. But during times like this, you need a state that functions. Like we need, we need a government that we can count on and we don't have that. And it's so apparent in every different way possible. I mean, it's, um, we've got a lot of work to do and it doesn't mean spending necessarily a lot of money to fix it. It could mean 
streamlining processes or not having so many, like unemployment, there's no reason why we need to have so many, why we have to have people jump through so many hoops. Um, right, right. Like you have to prove that you worked uh, 80 hours a month or were working, looking for jobs or volunteering. Well, there's not jobs right now. So why, you know, why would we require people to do that at this time? That's unnecessary. And for every requirement that you have, you have a person who has to check to make sure that the requirement is done, or you have to have a, a customer service representative helping people to figure out like why their job search requirement that they put in, like why they still got denied and all of that. And it's like, no, just make it easy, you know, and you're saving money and we can move that money into other areas where we need it, more, you mm -hmm. know, like maybe into the people who are in the Department of um, Business and Professions who are working with small businesses to help them reopen. Like if we had a lot of people there who could, and small businesses could, could uh, submit a reopening plan that was checked and that there was somebody in the government actually working with them to make sure that they were, they were maintaining the, I don't know, the public's health and keeping people healthy and safe, then we could not have just a blanket one size fits all. We could be more nuanced, you know, like we could make policies that made sense instead of yes. closed, open. It's like whack-a-mole. It's so nuts. <laughs> So that's what it, and, and I, and I do that until about eight o'clock at night mm -hmm. and I call people back. I call constituents back. Um, I, I do things like this. I give weekly updates. Um, you know, I, I go to a lot of virtual meetings. Um, yesterday I had the privilege of presenting at an academic conference for a plot for people in the public health profession, because I do a lot in public health and, my academic life and um and so I got to present on health disparities policy in COVID-19 and how to reduce the health disparities there which was pretty cool. Um, That's amazing and, that, and it sounds like your background has really prepared you and for this moment in a way that maybe other folks weren't. Oh thank that's really kind. I I I do feel um yeah Yes, absolutely. Actually, that's an accurate. I wish you were my representative. I'd, I'd let you put a sign in my yard. <laughs> well, so you know that Largo is my adopted city. And well, I actually have a Largo um, picture in my office because your city commission brought it to me. And they all, your mayor and your city council members visit me every time they come up to Tallahassee. Wow. <laughs> so I joke and I say Largo is my adopted 13th child. <laughs> And so this is an election year. How has the current moment changed your plans or how you're, you know, getting out there with constituents? So um, safety first. We're not knocking on doors. Um, even with the masks on, we're going to start doing lit drops, though. So just leaving something for people to, to read because what um, the research has shown is that there's actually minimal transmission uh, negligible transmission through surfaces and we're doing a lot of phone calling which is challenging because even with phone banking when you have a group of people together they can spur each other on and encourage each other to stay and call for just 10 more minutes um, but because we're not co 
getting together, trying to make sure that people are doing it from their homes and following through and still excited and, and that. And so I have, you know, we kicked off our virtual phone bank last night. We actually are going to start our first phone bank today at 11. And, and, and what we're doing is really calling and checking on people and making sure I did this a lot at the beginning of the crisis, just me and my staff calling people, asking, are you okay? Um, and so we're doing it again now, uh, having those follow-up wellness calls and just a light, like, just so that you know this is an election year. And I think that's important. I think if it wasn't uh, COVID-19, I would just go into a hard pitch like, hi, my name is Jennifer Webb and I'm running for re-election to be your state representative. That seems really false mm -hmm. in this climate. I mean, it, would, it seems absolutely inappropriate to start there. Um, the conversation right now should always start with, how are you? You know, yes. do you need anything? Yes. Um, and people are lonely and people are scared. Yes. And so that's where it needs to start. And so retraining volunteers who have worked on my campaigns in the past to, to, and this isn't the hard, also campaigns like currency is excitement and like, I don't know. It's, it's excitement and joy and like rah rah. That's not yeah. that's not appropriate. I mean, I think genuine genuine caring is what needs to come through, not excitement for the candidate. And right. so it, you know, my concern for you is a manifestation or a reflection of Representative Webb's concern for you and your well-being. How are you? Can we help? Just so you know, she is running for office for re-election. She was able to get a lot done as a freshman, and that's why she wants to go back so that she can fight for our families during recovery. You know, and that's really um, the that's the biggest change is in the messaging. Um, and for me personally, I had to decide if I during this crisis. I mean, I'm blessed. I know I can think of a thousand different ways to give back to my community. I'm not, I don't have a lack of imagination when it comes to how can I best be of service. At the beginning of this crisis, especially because we were sidelined and the unemployment system was working so terribly, I, I, had, I had a conversation with Cynthia, my spouse, of is, this, is the legislature the best place for me to be right now? Is this, the, is this where I can be most useful or do I need to go and jump in and help out the numerous nonprofits that are doing important work. The county is picking up a ton of slack. And so I actually had those conversations first with me, with my wife, and then with the county administrator, with city people, and, and um, to make sure, because it really is about giving back to people. It's, mm -hmm. it's really about helping community. And, and I decided that this was the best place for me to be because I mean, and, and that's why it was so wonderful to hear you say, oh, you have the right skill sets for this, was I had to get my footing and figure out how to be effective in this new normal. And luckily, I have the time and ability to figure things out quickly and to dedicate the time to figuring it out. And so I was able to do that and mobilize that knowledge for, for you know, everyday Floridians. But um. It was, 
it was tough because this has been really challenging to see our state fail so terribly and to be part of a government that's just like been totally ineffective. Because I think I that's, yeah. Totally I think that's really refreshing to hear that you kind of reevaluated how can I be the most effective? And it seems like sometimes politicians or people in power don't take that kind of self-reflection and they're just kind of doing whatever. Well, and I think that, you know, politics attracts people who are ambitious. Um, the trick is to discern and the people who are elected to represent you or to serve you, are they ambitious for the good of the broad public or are they personally ambitious? My ambition has always been to, to, to like on behalf of Florida. It's not about like, I don't need to be a state rep. I don't need to be elected. It's not about personal ambition. If I think somebody else can do the job just as well, um, and I can do something else better, then I'm going to go and do that something else because, because at the end of the day, I want to leave Florida better than I found her. I want to leave you. families in Florida stronger. I want to make their day just a little bit easier um, each and every year that I pass legislation. And our local businesses, too, because it's a misnomer that... Um, Democrats aren't good for business. We're actually very good for small business. And what we've seen through Florida is that the majority party, the Republicans have really left small businesses behind. We didn't, we, we only funded 1,000 businesses through the Small Business Bridge Loan Program, which is our major program for providing small businesses support during crisis. We totally cut the budget and by we, I take responsibility, even though I don't have the power um, because I'm in the minority party. But like Visit Florida got slashed um, to a $5 million budget. So they're normally an organization that stepped in for our mom and pop tourist businesses. And they weren't able to, to offer grants, not even loans, just here's money. We know that you are hard hit. And they couldn't do that because they hardly have an operating budget. Um, all of the SBA programs, the way just selling small business owners, selling the um, debt for, of small business owners and the taxes to a third party, knowing that small, like our government, our executive office should have known that small businesses would need help. Yes. And they should have known that. They should have invested yes. that. I'm a small business owner. I know that. I mean, it's not but they just took their eye off the ball. They were more worried with the larger corporations and all these other things. And it's like, there's, they sh absolutely should not have sold that debt in June 1st. They sh or Thank they should have said, we'll sell it to you contingent on you working out payment plans with all of our small business owners. You know, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, and, and, and so now I'm getting more back into the gear of, okay, I've identified all these problems. Once we are convened in the legislature, like I'm gonna figure out how to pass legislation to make sure that we are supporting families and small businesses. Um, when I was feeling really ineffective at the beginning of the crisis, I was taking calls, but I also started expanding a feeding program uh, that would actually bring food to 
children throughout Pinellas County whose parents didn't have transportation and they couldn't get to the school lunch site that they set up. And so I started doing that. It's like, there's a, because it is about being helpful and being of use. It's not just about taking up space or ambition for personal gain. Like, and that kind of leads in to my last question. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy and I just kind of also wanted to make a note that uh, I've had a, politicians dodge me, not give me any time of day, you know, reporters, historically, they're not in love with. So we appreciate your time. And I wanted to ask, since you had a lot, I think on your website, it said two thirds of your policies were passed into law. So maybe if you could speak to something that you are very proud of being able to pass and then in the future, hoping to be able to get in, get in there. So, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my mental health legislation because I'm actually after this conversation leaving to meet my family up in the panhandle. Um, it's the anniversary of my sister's birth. My sister who actually took her life, um, a few years ago because she got addicted to opioids and my first term, the governor executive ordered my bill to recreate the office of drug abuse and prevention. Um, this is an office that is tasked with um, using evidence-based research to, to create programs and to roll out programs across the state to help people, you know, who are addicted. It's the, it's the agency that is responsible for, you know, for reducing um, drug abuse and dependency across our state. And I think that's important because you can't say that we have a drug crisis and not have somebody who's responsible for like really getting in there and figuring out how to, how to help Floridians and how to reduce this crisis. And so that I was very, very proud of. I had called, um, I, the state house wouldn't hear the bill. Um, the, the committee chairs wouldn't hear my bill until I got word from the governor that he supported the bill because it was creating government. And that's not something that Republicans tend to want to do. It was creating a whole new office and a whole new, whole new deal. And so I, every single day, I called the governor's office and the governor's people and were like, where are you? Have you brought this up? Have you brought this up? And finally, um, his policy, one of his policy people called me back and said, you know, Jennifer, the government, the governor likes this bill so much that he doesn't even want it to go through the process. He's going to executive order it. It's done. Work on your other legislation. Wow. That's and really it cool. was, um, it was like right in the nick of time because time is what we're up against when we're in Tallahassee because we're only there for two months and you have to get every bill for three, three committees or two subcommittees, a committee, and then to the floor on both chambers. So a lot has to happen in those two months. And I was very proud of that. And I thought that, um, and in last session, what I worked on was uh, reducing the number of juvenile bank racks mm -hmm. because we know in Florida that we have this um, school, like that we, we have bank racked in 75 hundred children in the Tampa Bay area in just the last few years. It's, un it's increased by 35%. Wow. And for kids who don't need to be Baker acted, which is putting 
you Baker Act people who are a harm to themselves or others due to a mental health issue. Um, for people who don't need to be Baker Acted, it can be something that traumatizes them for the rest of their life. Forever. Forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and so I worked with Senator Harrell, um, a Republican legislator from across the state, to create a process that would reduce the number of Baker Acts. And we got the first portion of the bill passed. Um, unfortunately, we didn't, like, we got part one of a three-part bill passed. And so I want to keep working on that. Um, that's something that I'm looking forward to, to working on in the future. And then really for this day and time, I'm eager to take on the unemployment system to really revamp the state and make it work better for businesses and for families. And that's what a lot of my policy this coming year is going to be focused on. So That's amazing. Um, and I think that's very powerful because I don't think people realize how mental health in Florida, we rank really low consistently on <laughs> funding and stuff like that. And so we're already consistently low and this COVID is I'm sure exacerbating a lot of people's anxieties and depressions. Absolutely, um, domestic violence has increased. We would assume that child abuse is increase, increasing. Teachers are really worried that when they go back in the fall, they're gonna be seeing children's homes in the background, like you're seeing mine. Mm -hmm. um, and what they do, they're like, I don't, I'm not trained to know what to do with that information. Right, yeah. And what I'm gonna be seeing and hearing. And do we have enough support, supportive services to wrap around these families who are gonna need help? And I think all of that is, I mean, it's just so important. We're 49th or 50th every year in mental health funding. Uh, isn't that unconscionable? It's oh, unconscionable. yes. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like people, everyone's like, oh, Florida, it's such a happy place, you know, and everything like that. But then the mental health funding and it's so low. Well, There's things behind the sunshine. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is some darkness behind the sunshine. And, and it's so interesting. Whenever I could go out and talk to crowds, I would be giving my stump speech and I would talk about things that you would think would be really boring, like investing in infrastructure and, you know, like making sure that we're not dumping waste into our water and people would cheer. And then I would talk about, um, and then I would talk about uh, mental health and, uh, and suicide and addiction and the room would go quiet. But as soon as I stopped off the, stepped off the stage and out of the limelight, that's the only thing that people wanted to talk to me about. And every single, I have not met a family who has not been impacted by either um, mental health issues or by substance use. I mean, either within their family or close friend circle. Mm -hmm. And I tried to pick issues when I ran in 2016. No, I did pick issues that united all of our districts. A lot of them are really positive, awesome things like investing in early childhood education and career and technical education. But the one thing that also connects us all is, is this crisis. And so this coming month, every week, I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live with mental health professionals talking about um, how to know when you're like, how to know when just your blues have become depression or your anxiety, like your coping strategies are no longer helping, you know, like all of this, because I think 
we not all of us got into good coping strategies like making sure that we're practicing gratitude those are amazing coping strategies not everybody's as amazing as you are margie some people are like <laughs> i'm old so i'm i've learned <laughs> you know i talk to people and they're like i started drinking um have a bottle of wine a night but i've been doing it every night now for four months and i don't think that's good and i'm worried about it and like just things like that of like how, how you know i mean we don't have a lot of models for how to appropriately deal with stress people aren't getting out of their house and exercising which is a great way yes and that's so important for reducing stress and, and elevating your mood. So, you know, we're gonna be talking about that. I'm gonna be talking with professionals about that this coming this coming month. I mean, every week we're gonna do a different, first week is just like coping strategies, second week it will be addiction, third week will be how to spot abuse. At, because also we're home more, so people are hearing their neighbors and like, should I call someone? Like, is this lady okay? You know, all of this stuff and people want to be good neighbors and they don't want to overreact. And so how, how do you know what to do? And then the third week will be adolescent health. Kids have been really negatively impacted um, emotionally by being home and not being able to socialize with their friends and with the uncertainty with school. And then finally, health, mental health for parents and caregivers during school. And I think that's so amazing. Well, and I mean, to like being open about your recovery, like for me as well, like I've been in recovery for nine years and people at my readings, they want to talk about it with me, either recovery or alligators. Those are like the <laughs> two things. Hey, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you yeah. Recovery and alligators, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> the two things people always want to talk to me. And I'll talk about those two things all day. Um, but any, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that we didn't, we talked about a lot, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on and that you think people might should know? Oh, so I, right now I'm ending everything with, if you need help, uh, give my office a call. It doesn't just have to be with unemployment insurance, um, with the connect system. It could also be, we have tons of resources. We update them all the time. We know, and, and we will maintain anonymity um, will give you the resources you don't even have to give us your information um, but give me a call my personal cell phone is 727-320-6275 my um, email address is jennifer j-e-n-n-i-f-e-r dot web w-e-b as in boy b as in boy at my florida house dot gov and reach out to me there. Um, we'll get you connected. I know that the times are tough right now, but I know that we have amazing community to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation. Um, what I love most about Florida outside of the wild space, almost as much as the wild spaces is the community and how people stick together and they really come through for one another. And so um, consider me somebody that will help come through for you. That's you are a real eye-opener. That's great. I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with politics, so you made me love it more today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending the morning with me. I'm really happy to yeah. do this with you. I'm glad we could figure it Back out. Back at you. Um, and I know today is an important day for you, so, you know, our thoughts are with you. Thank you so much, and have a great weekend and everything coming up. I know you got a lot on your plate. Thank you. You were a delight to talk to. 
Y'all were as well. I know. I would be in a book club with you any day. And I don't say that. <laughs> Music to my ears. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Keep smiling. <laughs>